0: alcohol i think i am in. you quit or we are we're live okay good we're talking about alcohol how how often do you drink uh one night a week like one night a week one drink um or one night a week i get absolutely shit-faced one night a week
1: one drink well, okay, maybe two one like one like uh my wife we go out and we have a margarita or whatever it is or so, a spritzer yeah like whatever she wants to have i just go have a drink with her <laughs> you have a seltzer yeah, yeah. no nah, she likes a margarita but she always get me like multiple doubles she'll get me like two doubles margaritas like big ones we go somewhere so yeah. her her deal is we have to go out and have one drink and be social somewhere at least one yeah, night a week i can understand
0: that yeah
1: um it, but the it, problem is when you I, I don't know i like i get up at five and i train at six and i don't do well with a hangover and uh matt who i you know matt pollock um he is like a broken clock who's consistently like like i'll sit there and i watch at my kitchen window and it's like 6 a.m it goes and the light goes on i'm like jesus this guy never stops so i just have a whole bunch of people that are depending on me to be there that it doesn't facilitate me getting hammered on the weeknights you used to drink yeah, uh, in
0: college in Misso? Uh, i did
1: I, yeah. I i i didn't drink in much as in college as i did in when we got to the nfl my first couple of years we drank a lot
0: I mean, I'd ask this guy, but I know you were drunk during training, probably uh, some of the times. No
2: comment. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Why when, don't when, when you tell a
0: story from the uh, the Philippines? You know, that was a that was
2: a drinking time for most people. I was actually not a big drinker in the SEAL teams. I was, uh, I don't know, I was, I was all about getting bigger, better, faster, and stronger. And I put all my time into that. And. I got, I got a lot of harassment for not going out with the boys in the Philippines mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but just wasn't my scene. Yeah. Um,
0: saves yeah, a lot but, of money, saves a lot of drama.
2: Yeah. It saves yeah. a lot of drama. saves a lot of legal problems. I mean, the, the one night I did go out with the boys and get shithouse drunk, I ended up in a paddy wagon on my birthday, yeah. my 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a story did, we won't tell. I probably not appropriate for this <laughs> uh, venue. Well,
1: I mean, the problem is when you have three kids and a wife and all these other things, like it just doesn't like, like, uh, believe me, if we're going to go out, like I want to go out and have a good time and let's have a whole, let's try to drink every drink we can, but I got to kind of like pick my battles. Like, Oh, St. Patrick's day. Well, it's a holiday. We got to go.
2: I'd say when my kids were young, like your kids ages, I probably went seven, eight years without, without really a drink. I mean, like maybe a beer
1: at like kid's birthday party or something like that and that was it yeah like if somebody comes over like oh we'll have a, like um uh we'll go over to our friend's house to, um my buddy thad's birthday you know Thad. yeah that yeah. um so we'll have like a bottle of wine and i'll have a glass of wine or all right anything. but i end up eating his wife makes these incredible charcuterie boards yeah oh and i can't sit near because i'll eat the entire charcuterie board <laughs> and then just want to go home that's the biggest problem with alcohol is eating eating i like yeah I, i'll be like when oh. i drink i'm just like
2: yeah eat yeah that, like eat a, that eat he's that. The, that's the big
0: problem <laughs> with weed <laughs>
1: yes Yes. yeah so they say
2: but a a
0: good charcuterie board you're talking like jam
1: oh uh meats cheeses like six different cheeses yeah Yeah, like uh these like uh, various different almonds that are like coated and stuff yeah like that's my weakness a good charcuterie board like that's how i know i got old when i'm like weakness isn't anything other than like an amazing thing of chips and salsa or chip chip chips and queso for me like i I can eat my body weight in queso
0: security reports. There, you know, I think there was a point where it was probably around 30, 31, 32, where I'm like, oh, I just can't do this anymore. Where you drink, you drink until three, training started at six, and you're just, yeah. yeah, I'm like, I can't, I can't I was, do that. I was never that guy. I I could never do that. <laughs> but I would push without drinking because one kid's at the time. Um and like it would just come on like four months, no drinking. I just look at my buddy, I'm like, I just gotta go out and get shit faced tonight. Racing stripes down the van. And then I'd wake up in the morning, guys would be like, are you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. They're like, are you remember sure? last night? I'm like, no. Oh. They're like, you don't remember throwing that glass across the bar? I'm like, I didn't do that, dude. Well, here's the video. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs>
1: all of a sudden, if you're to wake up with, like, that sick feeling of, like, what did I do? Like, I don't want that feeling. That's It's an awful feeling. Uh, we A couple of years ago, I went out. Um, we, we have a tradition <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day, which is, like, first beer. So we find whatever bar opens first and we're in line and we usually like, crack, like get the first beer. So in, in Philly, it was 6am. So we would line up at five and we go to this place called Finnegan's wake and we get smashed by like six fifteen, Right. <laughs> so here in Austin, we moved out here like Newport beach, uh, or we'd go to um, Brennan's up in LA would open at six. Um, but we moved to, here to Texas. They don't open like the earliest place opens at eight or nine. And, uh, we went out and had a whole bunch of drinks. I was home by 10. My wife invited people over for a barbecue, and I laid on the couch and was out. <laughs> at like 4 o'clock, she wakes me up. She's like, people are coming over. you got to fire up the barbecue. So I go outside. I'm out of lighter fluid. I can't get the barbecue started, so I go get gasoline. <laughs> right? Mind <laughs> you, I'm still. This, but, is, this, um, is a,
2: this is a good idea dude, after a good idea.
1: <laughs> I am shouldn't be anyplace. I go outside, pour some gasoline. I light it. I'm not paying attention. The gasoline goes back into the can. I throw the can it falls on my leg I like I'm on fire the can's on fire everything's on fire I'm running around jumping the pool my daughters are like watching me outside <laughs> set myself on fire the, everything on fire jump in the pool and they were like wow and then my to the, my to marriage stay, is funny as own video yeah yeah like yeah. to this day my daughter's like like on St. Patrick's Day when you almost set yourself on fire and burned everything <laughs> to the ground like
0: that type of drunk and I'll be like yes that drunk oh yeah, I, I had that moment two weeks ago, and I, I've actually, my, my hip's feeling better, but I thought I screwed up my hip resurfacing. Um, you know the top rung on a ladder where it's got the signal, like, don't step here? Yeah. Well, the string lights are, are broken That's off. That's a challenge around. for quitter. It right is. There. I'm like, yeah. I mean, so come the, on. The, it's mortal. Uh, the ladder like was normal. next to our big oak <laughs> tree from which the string lights. And so, and I step up there, there's only two, and it's not even the two seconds where the thing starts to wobble, I know it's going so i sort of jump off but not in a way that uh gets me out of harm's way so the ladder hits the tree comes back i fall butt on the top wrong do a complete flip and land up on my back just laid there for uh about three minutes i'm like just, okay did I going him? through a mental checklist yeah. am i in, in pain muscle i got damaged my muscle but guys we've got a uh, dr uh, luana marquez uh, was there alcohol involved in this there was none
1: Oh, I, that's why I thought you were asking us some alcohol <laughs> stories. There had been alcohol, alcohol. but you know,
0: you, when when you see it, you're like, "Yeah, I'm a seal. I got this." I'm like, yeah, that, <laughs> that's that, for non that, that, that that's no, for no, non-athletic. Yeah, like I stayed at a Holiday can, in once.
2: I can stand on the top. top. I'm yeah.
0: a seal. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I have
1: qualifications yeah. stand. Uh, warning labels don't apply. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we've got Dr. Uh, Lu, uh, Luana Marquez, who is a associate professor of psychiatry at uh, Harvard Medical School. She's a big. What we call uh cognitive behavioral therapy. We're gonna talk a lot about uh anxiety today. She has a new book called Bold Moves. Um, and I often will take her approach versus medication, uh, which is what I think you refer to that as psychotherapy medication. Uh psychotropic. Psych- psychotropic. Yeah, yeah. Before we get to her, I think we've got uh are, is she on? Yeah. Okay I think come on articles from uh, men's journal uh, luana how are you
3: i'm doing well and i should be here with you guys i love the alcohol conversation and that labels don't apply here
0: yeah uh we 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 are often trying to uh, limit the amount that we uh, drink yet this is not the best showing
1: these are all unopened
2: well they yeah are. but they're also
0: gifts when people come on like i
1: i've realized that the after about the age of 40 like when somebody brings me a birthday present it's usually alcohol yeah. and now i have like a liquor cabinet that's like overflowing to the point where i'm like i just don't drink this much but or but then you're also thinking like people are like "Oh, what do you get this guy we get him alcohol but then you're thinking like how much do these people think i drink that they're bringing yeah. me all this stuff
0: which I, most I got, a, I just I got a
1: flask one time for Christmas, and I was
0: very <laughs> insulted. I was
2: like, <laughs> I was like "What do you, you think? I'm an alcoholic?" Like, but I got to just have a, a heater <laughs> sitting on my hip at all
0: times. <laughs>
2: like, you seem like you an also. alcoholic on the go. Here's something for your car. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you think of me?
0: <laughs> so, Luana, we're going to throw up to uh, our recent articles from uh, Men's Journal. Feel free to uh, to weigh in. Um, so, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, this is in full swing uh zuck is training with ufc stars there was a photo and i don't know if it's in this uh this article he's actually looking pretty good
1: yeah no i'm, I'm excited to see uh the isn't, team isn't, lizard people versus team alien so i think mark's part of the lizard people crew that live underground you know the you know the conspiracy that lizards yes, run everything yes he's part of that crew and then i think elon's probably part of the aliens
0: so
2: isn't, isn't uh elon like three or four weight classes there you
0: zuck. go there's there's the photo he's actually looking pretty good well i mean look at zuck i mean he's
1: yeah but look he's he's as big as um um i mean the dude just fought this weekend um israel yeah uh, no uh, not israel um
2: i mean israel's not a huge guy israel's
1: huge no, all, but he's, is he's he but the a, the other like guy, the guy is um I'm totally forgetting his name My my always
0: so, so let me understand this so they're fighting in the ufc venue no
1: no well that's what it was pitched why but, wouldn't they do that that uh, would bring in
0: more fans than i think well, any other UFC. I,
1: I think zuck has been training and it's like let's bring it I, I i don't know if elon has been uh i don't think he's in shape for it
0: he posted some pictures he doesn't look like he's in shape for it no he doesn't but he's been training with uh some locals um he went training with lex george, oh yeah he's been training with lex friedman and uh george
1: st pierre and those guys yeah i mean it, uh let me tell you dude i roll with um the best jiu-jitsu player in the world victor hugo and i don't think that i could go like like oh yeah no i train with these guys like there's a difference between training with these guys and then going out there to make money and kill some people Mm.
2: yeah like i i trained with dean lister but i was like (laughs) A five-year-old girl to him he yep. could do whatever he wanted to like I, just, I didn't get anything from training from him that i wouldn't get from training somebody yeah. 20 20 levels
1: below him dude i look i rolled with victor and you know shanji and these guys like they're the best in the world and uh oh yeah I, they totally had me thinking i was doing pretty good yeah like i was knee slicing passing guard and doing this yeah. and then victor's like oh you're doing great keep going <laughs> and then uh <laughs> yeah that's
2: it, like it was like,
1: like you're getting patronized yeah right? it was like super yeah, emasculating
2: yeah dean to yeah, be like yeah keep pulling yeah no no turn your hand a little yeah. i'm like all oh, right so yeah like you're never gonna, your gonna your be
1: day. able to arm bar me in this hey you want to do this no no and then he's grabbing my hand get the choke rate i'm like "God, yeah. so emasculating <laughs> so i I mean, uh, I'd like to see some footage of him. I mean, you can always, you know, so when he went to Hawaii, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, during COVID, he went and bought like 20 acres in front of the best surf spot in Maui. And then then he hired uh, Kai Lenny. And his crew to basically teach him to big wave surf and foil board, and it was something like, "How much you want? A million bucks? Okay, you and our crew a million dollars, but well, done." And so everybody's like, "Why are you still? Why are you teaching this toad?" And he's like, "We work for Facebook. We're his personal surf instructors." Yeah. So he buys the best place, like right in front of, <laughs> like they have to go on his property to get out to where they go. And he just hired those guys, and so I'm sure he just hired these guys too.
0: I'm sure he gets a lot of hate for that. The guy earned it. Good for him. The guy earned it. Well, I'm like, happy for him. I kind of he, of, earned, he, earned, he earned the jealous? money
2: that he's using, but I don't, I don't think he earns the, he didn't earn the status of, you know, like I'm sure he's a white belt. Right. And I think he is a white belt. And so why does he get any more status than any other white belt? Because he's rich and famous. That's oh, well, why. Absolutely. Like, well, he, that's I mean, just the way the world works. Yeah, so, I know, but, you but you I'm just, I'm just saying he didn't but, earn anything in jujitsu other than a white belt.
1: Well, but he, <laughs> here's the difference. He's gone out and he's actually competed. He went and beat up some other pharmacist yeah, I know
0: nerds. It was, it was in Silicon Valley, yeah, the, like, the like it was I'm like. saying
1: another hundred thousand
2: white belts have done that yeah. this year, and none of them got any notoriety
1: for it but i mean yeah. uh, like i can't, i I really appreciate the fact that he probably had a a focus group go out and they probably asked a million people, what do you think of Mark Zuckerberg, and they were like toad alien. <laughs> Lizard person, there was probably not. What if like, he does jujitsu? Like there were. Well, being in shape toad What they figured is, this focus group came back to him, and they were like, "Okay, everybody thinks you're a weirdo. So what you need to do is do something that Joe Rogan high fives you, and if Joe Rogan thinks you're cool, you'll get a pass from everybody yep. else." So he starts doing jits and MMA, goes on Joe Rogan, and Joe and talks to Rogan about jits and this whole deal. And Rogan's like, "This guy's pretty switched on," and he becomes a friend of Rogan, and instantly gets the pass right Where now the world doesn't think he's an absolute weirdo so i but think does it was he true.
0: really care uh, 100 i don't care if you have a every, billion every, b- every, bucks everybody or twenty five thousand bucks he, to your name uh everybody it, cares. like
1: yeah. i listened to his podcast with uh, on joe rogan and he legitimately cares like there was a very concerted effort that i need to do something that joe i mean because <clears> <throat> why does joe rogan need to like co-sign on anybody I mean, he calls bullshit on people constantly <clears throat> And the fact that he was like, you did, you know, like it was one of those things that I wondered if he's like, okay, two years before I go on Joe Rogan, I need to start training so that I have something to talk about. So he doesn't mm. think I'm a complete Martian. Mm. That's at least the way I took it. And I was like, good for him. Because
2: well, Joe Rogan made that comment about him when he testified in front of Congress yeah, about yeah. when he does that drinking water thing. He goes, and he did he's like, look, and he didn't blink. Yeah, he goes. He goes. That's he goes, That's a
1: robot trying to pretend being a human. Yeah. like <laughs> Well, <laughs> like, he, and that's what he looked like. He did that whole thing where he didn't blink, and they were like, "He's an absolute robot or a lizard." Yeah. Luana,
0: so- have you been following this whole Elon <laughs> Musk and? Zuckerberg potential fight she probably
1: had so guess- board things, she's right. probably like I don't yeah. need to see no. two, two rich guys yeah. who are who are trying to prove themselves in some <laughs> way go out there and fight each other
3: so the only thing I'll say is everybody cares about what other people think I agree but no I'm not following I was just anxious about the whole training here thinking this is a lot of work just to have people care about you but okay
0: yeah it's I, you know what I think it'll draw a lot of eyeballs I hope it ends up on UFC as one of the main cards I think it'll just be comedy my I, question I would is be are, so they, are they allowing face like punches be so to the face insulted. I, i'd be so insulted as a
2: ufc fighter if that if and that, that if that got to top yeah player. i can understand that like i can understand that yeah i i I there'd be, be like would like, be like a hey, zuckerberg and elon are gonna start shooting they're gonna they're gonna start doing cqc and then they're gonna go train with seals and seals are gonna get the the back yeah they're gonna they're gonna be the background
0: and these guys are gonna be the the best gunfighters in the world. i like, come on, who cares? I wonder if these guys would agree to like actually hitting in the face or if this is just going to be a pure on the mat. Oh, um, like a, like a jiu jitsu competition. Just did you a jet competition or is this like going to be traditional submission? MMA?
1: Yeah. Um, I know that Elon, uh, they, he was a cage fight, which normally a cage fights. Like, or yeah, MMA, like, yeah, yeah. MMA. Bit um, fighting. but know. I know, uh, I, I don't know. i like, I haven't it all that close. I just know that, uh, the guys that I trained in the jujitsu world were pretty fascinated by it, and they were interested to see like who people were reaching out to on it. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I mean, like, uh, what's the risk versus reward? Like, would you pay a hundred bucks to watch it?
0: No. I on this one, I I, I rarely ever pay pay per view. Yeah. I think I would pay. I, uh, I would I wouldn't. I would It's going to be comedy.
1: It's so, gonna be comedy. So the last UFC 290, I, I I didn't pay for, and I was watching the clips, and I was sad I didn't buy it. It looked incredible. Like there were so many good knockouts, and so it was such a good fight. But I don't know. Like I, the last thing I want to do is watch two. How, what are they in their 40s? Like yeah. zuckerberg has got to be in his 40s, right? Yeah, yeah. Ulan, Elin has got to be, it so be 40. He might be. So some 40 plus now. year old, out of shape, dad bods, non non fighters, non fighters. I was like. I'm not interested in. It. Or, is, like,
0: or is this like Game of Thrones, where they can select proxies? Why don't we get the UFC Two UFC, UFC, guys l- two off, UFC fighters to be, be the fight CEOs them. of their who companies. Who you select as your proxy? Well, it depends. Who? I mean, are we going by weight class? Or are we going by?
1: Well, they didn't have that in Game of Thrones. Remember, he got to pick uh, the one dude with the sword, got to go against the mountain. So it's just. Proxy. And he, he lost. Yeah, yeah, he did. But he was he was beating him until. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you had to pick anybody in the world for your proxy, who would it be? John huh. Wellborn. Uh, John oh. dude, yeah.
0: You oh man, that's because then they can just counter select. No, no, I think
1: I think what happens is, is everybody gets the pick open privately, and then
0: you show up and you're like, this is who I mm. selected. I would select uh probably a AK 47. This mm. would I would go with let's uh throw up one more uh article. Uh wanna uh, bear with us. Do you know who I would select? Who?
1: I would take uh Boss Rutan in his prime. Interesting. So I had lunch with Boss Rootin the other day. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. Went went to lunch. Harry Shaw knows him, so we went to lunch with Boss root huh. to try to get him to be guests on our podcast and so uh did, we, did you get him or is he, uh, back? he no he well no we just went to lunch we had an, an incredible lunch he was like showing me combinations telling me stories about how he broke this dude's liver i mean like he was a, i mean he was the original mma fighter he's like yeah, the OG he was guy. Yes, he was vicious oh uh, was the best and he was talking fighter. about how he broke this dude's liver and how he knew that he could break a spleen and he went on that thing it was like the deadly it was some tv show where they were showing like deadly stuff and they were like, "Do you think you can break a spleen?" He's like, "Yeah, I broke a liver. I can break a spleen." And he did this punch, and basically, they like measured it, and he broke a, broke the spleen on the deal. But boss was incredible. Yeah, he was to the point where I was like, "You want to come on the podcast?" He's like, "Sure." I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm you know he's in new brothels, so oh, he
2: that's cool uh, LA.
1: during yeah. Well, he was, and then he um, during COVID came out and visited Rogan, and like went down and looked checked out new brothels, and new brothels reminded him where he grew up in uh, Holland it's kind of like German and there's, you know, oh, this kind to of German field to it. ton of German influence. Yeah. There. And he was like, That's the name great. New Braunfels. so they moved to new brothels, <laughs> new brothels. And, um, so he's local and, uh, I was trying to get him to come up cause I want him to mentor, um, Victor and those guys and just have like him around and he needs his too, you know? So he was like, came up we went and I was, uh, so I'm trying to plug him in with those guys, but he's like, yeah, do you want to do a podcast? He's got this O2 trainer thing. And he's got a bunch of stuff. He's, uh, uh has some of the most amazing stories i've ever heard like things about like pride back in the day and he was telling us the king of pancreas and the fighting and just like Mm. he was like doing these like blood matches for i mean just on i'm like uh, uh, three hours i was this is the best
0: save it for the podcast but
1: yeah so yeah i would take boss rude
0: he i mean he's an icon yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely a founding member. Yeah. So this one, Tom Cruise did 1300 practice jumps, 13,000. 13, 13, thir- there is no way he's got 13,000 jumps. I, where, where does whoa, he get whoa, that whoa. in? Cause Nick, what Nick Cush has, 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 has 11,000.
1: Okay. So 13,000, how many jumps a day can you do?
2: Be very generous. And say you can six,
0: do- four, yeah. four to six yeah. like comfortably. I
2: mean, let's be crazy and say he could do 10.
0: Yeah. 1300 days. i do know this no he he learned look look up when uh is it days of thunder yeah look up uh what your days of thunder came out uh 1989 is that what you're guessing it is i think it's either it's 89 he learned to skydive during days of thunder when they were out at daytona is it right to land it was 90 90. so i mean that's
1: well over those years okay
0: but still, that's oh, so Oh, in
1: of... his whole life, he's got thirteen thousand jumps.
0: That's uh, that's what I'm guessing. Well, because that the way I'm that.
1: reading that, he did thirteen thousand practice jumps.
0: Yeah,
2: that's what I read.
1: Oh, to pull but off if, the if, biggest stuff. Okay, that makes 13, sense.
2: Thirteen thousand jumps over his life. Okay, I bet you he has thirteen thousand
1: jumps because oh. he's in his sixties, right?
2: That's Thirty-four years. Uh,
0: well, he's 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 60, sixty, isn't he? I'm just I'm looking at guys that do this for a living, and like even guys that do it for a living are like. 15 to 18,000. Jobs. Um, yeah. Well, but if
2: they had their money to have their own. Planes, yeah. Have you ever, ever um, so, of so did
1: property? you, uh, look up how many flight hours he has? So, because he's, he's a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. He's a pilot, but like he has, uh, like at the end of Top Gun when he's flying that, like World War II, that's his plane. Yes. That's his that. favorite plane. And he, uh, he does like, he's got a maintenance crew and he does, I mean, like the story is incredible.
0: Yeah. I, I heard a funny story My about mythology. him where he was telling a story about, he wanted to do a stunt and the stunt coordinators are like, Tom, we, we can't do that. And the story he's telling the guy to, he said, well, Tom, what'd you do? He's like, so I got a new stunt coordinator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until the guy said yes. But um, if Tom Cruise is listening, we would love to bring you on one of our uh, expeditions or go skydiving in Nepal. Uh, so if anyone knows Tom Cruise, please connect us. We've announced, I, I sorry, we, well, we just uh, pulled the trigger on this drop zone app 24 to 27 October. We're going to skydive into an unknown DZ in Moab, into the River Valley. One day of whitewater rafting, one day of off-roading. Wow. It's going to be fun. So we can't jump you in, but you can be waiting on the ground. That's fine.
1: <laughs> I will gladly wait on the ground. There
0: is a system that can support you, but I, there's only, like, I think a few of those systems. It's like the tandem heavy.
1: Yeah, what, what is it? you got to be under a certain weight? What is it?
0: Well, combined uh, – now you put my knowledge – Basically, your weight and my weight can't exceed something like it's like 450 pounds. Uh, so we okay, need a really
1: small person to jump. In. And then that would be really scary.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then they Actually, get, you would be stable as always... hell, though. If you had a good position, <laughs> you'd, you'd be very easy to jump. But there is a tandem system. No, I'll, I'll be on the ground. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll coordinate that. It'll be fun. The whitewater raf- rafting um, is class five anyway. So did, did you ever hear? Oh, which I've done.
1: Um, the, uh, There's a cool story about Patrick Swayze uh, on Point Break when they were basically getting those guys proficient to be jumping. And like, I forgot the guy who was like the, you know, the jump coordinator for that, but they had to get Swayze. Cause you remember he's doing those flips in the air and he's doing all that acrobatic stuff. And he was, I think like a ballet dancer. So the guy talks about, you know, they had to do like X amount of jumps before they started doing it. And he's like Swayze. He's like, I showed him once and the guy was basically just doing all these moves. Cause he's like, Oh, it's like doing ballet in the air and mm-hmm. he was a dancer. But, uh, that guy was like, you know, probably one of the most, like interesting, like had never skydived, and all of a sudden, x amount of jumps later,
0: the guy's doing flips in the air. So I'm totally not that guy. Nothing comes <laughs> easy to me.
1: But have you seen? Uh, you remember in Point Brank where they're doing all those like single, where oh, they're yeah. spinning the pirouettes and they're yeah. doing the flips? But he's he's like... actually got his head to like almost his knees. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was him. That wasn't a, a stuntman. So Swayze did all that.
0: We 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 are pitching a potential TV show called Drops on Earth, and um, we had a conversation and the lady who's pitching it to all these uh whatever production studios said mike anything you want to say i'm like yeah basically imagine point break with a bunch of special operations guys and afterwards she's like don't ever say that again i don't don't know (laughs) where that who that offended but i'm like oh okay um who doesn't love point Break?
1: i I am an fbi agent
0: you pull no you pull
1: we use that like the whole time where it's like uh are you hungry uh Yeah, give me some tacos. Utah, give me two. You know, (laughs) like there are so many point break references that we've used just within Daily Vernacular that the fact that somebody was against it, I whoa, whoa, well, I don't
0: know if I can work with you if you're not a point break fan. It's a classic. I'm Patrick Swayze. Probably one of the most iconic uh, skits ever is him and uh, Chris Farley. Chris Farley.
1: Yeah, where they're Chippendales. Chippendales are like,
0: no, man, you were great. Uh, (laughs) They uh, have since gone back and been like apologized
1: for that and they were like oh this was sham like dude first of all that was the most amazing thing ever When he's like i don't think i can beat you so he's like I'm dude you, you know like i can't believe i beat you he's like <laughs> it was, was a tough decision <laughs> he's like was it the body yeah it was the body
0: <laughs> all right so guys two, two great icons that we've lost we are going to transition over to uh mental health which um is god i want to say out of control without sounding unempathetic um I, you know, I don't know where to go with this. Basically, would, would you know, you Luana,
1: that, that, uh, like, uh, there's an epidemic. It's, it's there's an never, epidemic of. Well, it, is it an epidemic, or or, or is it just the fact that the media and social media has made such a notice of it that, like, you know, it, it seems like such a an issue. Maybe, but maybe it's always underlining been there.
0: Well, it, it, but Luana, you know, <laughs> mental health is a very subjective diagnosis. Diagnosis. Is it not, or are there biomarkers you can identify to say, yes, this person definitely has uh, mental health issues?
3: I mean, I think we're working on biomarkers. I don't think it's clear that we can say this is the biomarker and it leads to this disorder. What we can say for sure though, is that people are hurting, right? The CDC is reporting 20 or 30% of Americans are having clinical levels of depression, and anxiety. Now, was it there before the pandemic? For sure. Um, But people are certainly struggling more. And I do think the media is talking more about mental health, which there's plus and cons. On the plus, I think we are aware there are more people struggling, there's more suicide the cons i think that some of the conversation doesn't bring science and real data into it
0: so you know I, you know luana and i had a uh, conversation earlier where we talked about if this is becoming such a prevalent issue within america is always go to the source like you, you may not be able to cure this generation but you can certainly uh, prepare the next generation through and i know you, you know your focus is cognitive behavior ther- behavioral therapy starting to educate our younger generations on the techniques to minimize anxiety, stress, um, a, a lot of those issues. Um, what what strides do you see being made? And I know, I know you work for for Harvard and, and a lot of uh, institutions where they're actually trying to educate either their staffs, their students, their people uh, on how to better uh, combat uh, mental health issues. Yes.
3: Yeah, so, You know, as a cognitive behavior therapist, I actually believe in skills and not just therapy. Uh, I grew up poor in Brazil with a single mother, and to be honest with you guys, what I learned first it was sort of learning. You guys have been talking about this in this podcast to approach discomfort instead of avoiding it, to go towards things that scare me. And when I got to graduate school, and I realized there's science behind this. That's what we wanna teach kids today, that instead of running away when they're scared, can we go towards things that make you scared in a way that doesn't paralyze you, right? But we've done this for 10 years here at Harvard. We've trained paraprofessionals in inner cities. So people with no training, working with young men coming out of prison, for example, how to regulate their emotions, how to, instead of shooting somebody, manage their anger. And we've seen that it works, that we can actually get somebody that came out of jail Instead of going back on the streets to get a sixty percent more likely to get a job by just learning how to regulate emotions, and I think that's what we need to be teaching people.
2: Is it, would you say that that's? Um, I, I'm, I know I'm mixed. I'm mixing concepts here, but um, it, it's almost it's almost like progressive exposure therapy for for life, right? So it's like uh, it's not necessarily about an elevator or some phobia, but it's just like we know that people always feel the fear and um, progressive exposure therapy that, that you get them to keep doing it. They stay just as afraid, but they develop courage and they and they develop tools to move through life with that, you know, with that fear. Uh, and it sounds like what you're saying is sort of just like a general blanket of that across life. It's like, let's, let's move towards the things that are, that are, uh, you know, anxiety-provoking for us or you know, concerning to us, and we'll develop more skills and get better and better at that, and be able to handle more and more stress.
0: We, we another way to say that is, are are is society becoming less resilient because we're safeguarding <clears throat> people from uncomfortable situations?
1: Um, I think that we've made it okay to be afraid of things. Like that's um, you know, like I I don't remember fear. Really being is, okay though, growing it up. is
2: okay to be afraid yes. of things. Well it's no, just, but it's not a it's not okay to hide
1: from things yeah, that you're afraid that's of. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I remember there were bullies. Like I remember growing up and like I remember uh, there were bullies and oh, the whole deal and I remember my mom like talking to my mom about it, and she's like, Well, you're either gonna have to like you can either sit here and wait for it or you can just go out there and deal with it head on and get in a fight and deal with it that day. <laughs> so I mean like the idea of like somehow hiding at home from your fears. Uh, I found that hiding at home just brings all your fears to your front door and knocks on it. It's easier to go Mm. out in the world and encounter them. But I I wonder sometimes if we've gotten into a situation where now people are like, well, just avoid. I think a
2: lot of the fears now are virtual and those are easier to, you know, put behind you and look at, you know, um, distract yourself by looking at other things and not, not approach those things that are, Nagging at you, uh, but I think we should talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, the, the, I, the no. <laughs> this is, this is world. S- yeah, no,
3: no, no, I think you guys are all saying something very valuable. I think the first one is this fear is biologically wired and we're going to have it, so we can't take it away. The question is, is it real fear or is it perceived fear? Is it something that we are creating that we think it's fearful, right? And I think this idea of exposure to a lifetime. We think about exposure therapy as just, I'm afraid of elevators or heights, but it's really this idea of what do we do when we feel anxious? And I think the three of you, in one way or another, are talking about if we avoid what's making us anxious, it's only gonna make us more stuck. And there is right. this idea today that we can avoid. And I think the problem is not anxiety. I think the problem is avoidance, is that we avoid and then we rob our chances of actually overcoming that fear and becoming our best selves, our stronger yeah. selves
0: yeah let, let me i'm gonna ask you a very like safe spaces we often hear within universities now that they have safe spaces and and <laughs> I, I guess safe words it, yeah is is that like you your responsibility? is that a real your thing?
2: responsibility to avoid my triggers. yes because if you ever well, say anything that makes me feel it unsafe, feels like that you're it's
0: like we're perpetuating the problem Yeah. Lana.
3: Yeah. So I have a problem with that myself, because I think that we are teaching people not to have conflict instead of actually teaching people how to engage in conflict in a way that allows you to overcome it. Right? We're responsible for our words, but I don't know what your triggers are. I really don't if I don't know you. So if I trigger you, I think it's reasonable for you to say, hey, Luana, that pissed me off. And can we have a conversation about it versus you can't talk to me about this? right? I yeah. think in the general, I'm I'm going to, in the day to day, this is different than somebody that knows somebody has a trauma history, for example, and is poking at them. That's very different. But in the day to day, I'm with you guys, we are teaching people to walk in eggshells instead of giving them skills to overcome challenges. And I think that's a problem.
2: And, and I mean, really, the only, the only reason to have a conversation is to uh, expose each other to our thoughts right to to think and be able to represent our our beliefs and our perception of the world and and the a form of language and if that offends somebody and now I'm not allowed to express myself because some group has decided that that's offensive well that's that's their problem but they're they're weakening the world by by making it somebody else's problem I feel like.
3: I agree. I think we have to be able to disagree in a respectful way and have opinions. Um, Otherwise, how do we get to some sense of consensus about anything? It just becomes the split that we're seeing in the world.
2: Yeah, it just becomes ideology. Like, this ideology is approved, that one's not. So if you don't have something to say along this ideology, you can't say anything.
0: Conflict resolution.
2: Yeah. You have to be able to Mm
0: do it. Out of all conflicts comes some form of 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 resolution. War, doesn't matter. I, I, so I read this. I thought this was very interesting. When compared to psychoactive medications, review studies found that CBT alone to be as effective for treating less severe forms of depression, anxiety, post traumatic stress disorder, tics, substance use disorders, eating disorders, and borderline personality disorders.
2: And And insomnia, if that's not in there. Insomnia? It should be. Like it's very, very powerful for insomnia.
0: The, so you know, I come from the the only lens that I know, and when we get discharged, the VA puts like seventeen forms of prescriptions, yeah from gabapetin to like you you name it uh due to all the ailments you you leave the military with, or I should say due, due to combat. Um, we have the individual on the podcast, the uh, the pilot.
1: Um, that yeah, got, Kagan Gill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he talked about gabapentin being by far the most difficult to get off. And ironically, uh, when my wife had her surgery, she had, they prescribed her gabapentin and she has not, I mean, like kicking the gabapentin, she hasn't been able to sleep. Like it's literally, and I even said to her, I'm like, it's a gabapentin. She's like, you have it in my head. I'm like, no, no, it's the gabapentin. It's not me in your head. But like, that's a tough one to kick. And I was going to ask yeah. Dr. a little bit. Why is it? Because it works on the GABA receptor? Yeah. Well, I mean, so
2: Gabapentin is really nothing more than a GABA molecule with a pentane ring that allows it to diffuse through membranes, get into the, the nervous system better. But, you know, any, anytime you're giving a super physiologic, I mean, obviously we all, we produce GABA all throughout our body. Um, and GABA is a neuroregulatory neurotransmitter. Um, but anytime you go super physiologic with anything like, you know, hormones or you know anything else, you downregulate receptors over time. Um, and so now if you have one-tenth of the GABA receptors that you had before you started taking this medication and you have a normal amount of GABA, well you, you have 90% deficiency in GABA because you don't have the receptors for it. And so that's why things like that need to be tapered off very slowly. And, and I believe Nearly every medication should have an exit strategy w- when you prescribe it. I mean, that—I mean—that's my approach. I mean, and uh, there but, are there are some exceptions. I mean, if you're a type one diabetic or something, yeah. okay. But you know, for for mo- most everything, there should be an exit strategy. And definitely, I would say, and not that that was given to her for psychotropic reasons, but it has, but it is a psychotropic drug.
0: I would say the uh, pharmaceutical companies probably think differently. Definitely.
1: Yeah. They, yeah. they would like you to take everything for, for, yeah. for, for forever. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it's, is that a contributing factor to the rise in what we would call mental illness? Is that the fact that, um, you know, these the drugs are being prescribed push. so readily? Yeah. yeah. You come in and hey, I have these issues, and you
0: know, yeah. part
1: of the lack of resiliency, too. Is that we're going to prescribe medication to
2: get
0: you through this problem instead of you working your way through getting to this problem. Medi- medication yeah. are not foundational habits, though. But what you're doing yeah. through CBT is trying to create foundational habits that allow people to cope when they know the symptoms are coming on.
3: Absolutely, Mike. I, I mean, I think the important thing is that sometimes there is a need for medication. I certainly, I think the pharmaceutical company can contribute to the problem, but I think there is a, a fine line and there's a point that there is a need for medication. But the studies that you read, what we know is imagine somebody is on CBT and I put them on a pre and post MRI and I look at their fun- function MRI and I do the same thing with Prozac. I mean, this study was done in the 90s and you see that you can change the same neural pathways in the brain with Prozac versus CBT, right? The question is, CBT is hard and people have to actually work hard to overcome their challenge. I mean, CBT for insomnia is incredible, but a lot of patients will take the easier path, which is a medication. But, you know, I'm biased, I'm a CBT therapist. What I know is CBT is lifelong skills. It's not just about overcoming something, it's about being able to regulate your emotions, about Mm -hmm. handling the curveballs of life, is being able to sleep better. And to me, my job is to work myself out of a job so people can know what to do when they're hitting difficulty in life. And I think that's why CBT is so powerful.
2: Yeah, well, my, um, I don't I don't know if you know anything about me, but by, I'm a physician and I work with uh, privately with clients and I do, you know, sort of health optimization performance uh, type medicine for not really a disease based model. It's just what do you want to get better at and how can we help you to get better at it? Uh, the pharma is a last resort for me, as I said. Um, and, and, and that's almost always an exit strategy for uh, if I do need to re- resort to pharma, but my, what, what my job really is. And, um, you know, my patients probably, or my clients would probably wouldn't really like me saying this, but really my, what my job is, is, is a behavioral therapist, is a cognitive behavioral therapist. Like I'm getting them, To optimize their lifestyle because, you know, it's really exercise, nutrition, sleep and stress mitigation that's going to do 90% of the health optimization. And then we can, you know, there's a difference between ideal and reality and we can, you know, we can use tools and tricks to mitigate that gap, you know, try to bridge that gap the best we can.
3: I'm so with you. I mean, I, I anybody I work with, the first question is eating, sleeping, and exercise. If those three things are not under the control, there isn't much I can do to help you, right? Okay. And, that, and then, and then you have yes, yeah, <laughs> especially the foundation sleep, for everything. yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you have to face reality. And a lot of people that come um, don't want to face reality, but you know, doesn't mean you have to like reality. But you have to look at your reality to change it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And if you look at the, I mean, it's all in the trends. Obesity, diet, sedentary life. I mean, it, there's no no reason to why uh, mental health is uh, is increasing. Um, and it seems like every, you know the the shortcut, the the quick is like, oh, I'm I'm a little obese. Oh, Ozempic. I will just get well, well, I mean, like, if, why, why get on a uh, on a diet and fitness plan?
2: If you look, if you look at, or what if you did Ozempic and a diet? If you look, if you look at from a holistic standpoint, though, right? Like, we know metabolic health is getting worse. We know physical physical health is getting worse. Metabolic health is getting worse. People are becoming less resilient, less fit, less strong. Right? Why is it surprising that psychology would be any different? I mean, if if you want to know what your body is going to look like two years from now, look at your brain. If you want to know what your brain looked like two years ago, look at your body Mm -hmm. because it you know your your metabolic fitness is a result of your thoughts and behaviors and and you know vice versa. So it's all the same. It's all a continuum. It's all the same thing. My my. I don't have a neurological system. That's a way we divided it, so I can learn. You
1: mean the body doesn't exist in I a mean, vacuum, I like mean, different parts? Just developing a nervous system.
2: Just a muscular skeletal problem it has nothing yeah. to do
3: with that. <laughs> so I, I, am with you guys. This is so important, though, because I love how you're pushing on this because it's brain health, it's body, like it's all connected. When people are like, well, you know, you have a mental health problem. Well how's your body? Like, and and right. why is it that we exercise our physical body so hard, but we don't spend any time exercising our brains and doing exercises that can strengthen our brains should because be the same stig- amount.
2: We stigmatized it. If you're, if your brain's not perfect, just because there's something wrong with you. Like you're, you're a flawed person, but it's okay to, to work on your fitness, but there's a mm-hmm. stigma around not being able to handle stress as well as you'd like to, or, you know, or to, Whatever, create a healthy narrative around anything in your life. Like there's a stigma to mental health.
0: Well, um, uh, well there no, should a hold, 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 I hold it, but I, I think there's also becoming a victim category within mental health that people are willingly sort of stepping into that bucket,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they have no desire to. No, I to, think, I think there's a. I don't know if I buy that
2: of saying. Um, all my psychological problems are caused by somebody else or something yeah. else but yes. not not that i don't think there's a lot of victim points status points for saying i have bpd for example no. you know it's like yeah. but no, no, there's no. a lot of victim status and saying well my parents abandoned me when i was three years old and left me in the woods for two weeks by myself now i have good. BPD. Uh, right <laughs> i'll just give you a,
1: a good example jacob who does our video uh, for our podcast Uh, He's overweight. And when I asked him why he was overweight, he was like, I made a lot of bad choices to get here. Yeah, And he firmly a thousand uh, bad choices. He, he is uh, like taken ownership of all of those bad responsibilities. And I'm like, do you want to be less fat? Do you want to be in better shape? And he's like, 100%. He's like, do you think I want to be like this? He's like, this is bad decisions. I realize I make bad decisions. I need to start making good decisions. So he's got to show up and train three days a week. He has to give me food logs. He's lost like 60 pounds in the last like. Uh, two months that we've been working together. Wow. Um, he shows up today and he's like, I know it's going to be awful. And he shows up on time. I'm like, how are you feeling? He's like, it's a lot better than being fat. Like he is, uh, the, like, he is my textbook dude where he's like, no, 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 nobody did this. I put the food in my mouth. Nobody forced me. I made a lot of bad decisions. And, uh, he's like, I want to like make them right. And he, you, you can't fix it if you don't have accountability. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he shows up and he's like, yeah. this is the best thing I ever needed to, to, you know, to work for your company and to be in this. And like the guys come through it, it's community, which, uh, when I looked at all the blue zones, I, I was fascinated by all the blue zones. Mm. Um, there's really like no common thread other than like community where like there's accountability. People feel involved. They're able to like be able to contribute later which, which into is, life,
2: which is a, which is a, perceptual change of the world right when you have community around you you view the world differently that's different on your on your you know your whole limbic system your whole stress system all of that changes with community and stress is really the cause of all disease i think you know
0: well i mean sebastian younger wrote about that in the book tribe where Mm -hmm. native americans who went to serve in the u.s military had lower ptsd rates than your traditional american civilians because they returned to the tribe and the tribe wrapped their arms around them with a sense of uh of Talk to us about
2: uh, PTSD and CBT. Mm. I, I find that fascinating.
3: Um, so I've, I've treated PTSD with CBT for really 20 years now, um, and it's very successful, right? What What leads to PTSD is the sense that something bad happened you couldn't control, and it will change two main things. It will change how you interpret the world and how you feel in your body. And so there's two types of treatment, prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy. You probably heard about both. But one of them is this idea of changing your belief system, really changing what you're saying to yourself. Um, So you work on, you know, something bad happened, it was my fault. What was it really your fault, right? So if you're working with somebody that was a uh, rape survivor, did you ask to be raped? And what, how can you think about this differently? How can you change the future to be safer Um, or prolonged exposure, which is reliving it? What's really amazing about CBT for trauma is that in nine to 12 sessions, you can give somebody their lives better. I've seen, you know, lots of veterans. I've seen lots of women in the community who now are no longer jumping around. They're no longer, you know, on fight or flight. So we can't erase what happened, but we can change how you relate to it and how you take control of your life.
2: Yeah, and no, I mean that's the basic fact of life, right? Is that it, uh, we're all we're all going to get things we don't want all the time, and we're all going to not get the things we do want all the time. And it's our narrative about that that determines whether or not that's a growth experience, or um, you know, I don't know, diseased <laughs> disease causing experience, or uh, something that that's uh, minimizing us, or, um, diminishing us somehow, or if it's something that's making us stronger and better. Um, and yeah. I. I I think that that's you know that I, I and that's what I know the most about with CBT mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know, my friend I have you know colleagues and friends that do it and it's that reframing that I think is is just an amazingly powerful tool and and I I think uh, a lot of community and religion is built around reframing right it's a, it's a mm-hmm. different way of perceiving why things happen in the world
3: um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think changing the narrative um, is important no matter if you have trauma or not, right? We've talked about victim right. mentality, but you know, I grew up with a lot of trauma at home. My father um, was very abusive and you know, my mother took on a lot. And as, as a kid, I, at first I was like, okay, it was my fault. I hadn't done enough. And now as a professional, I understand that I couldn't have done anything. What I could have done and have done is to change my narrative and ensure that I have what's known as post-traumatic growth. I understand that experience happened. It doesn't control my life. And I'm going to now teach people how to overcome that experience. And I think that's really how we have to manage those challenges in life.
0: We actually, it was just on Fox News and I I spoke about post-traumatic growth and, and how people that can embrace it and understand it, actually understand that they can be better human beings in that they are in full no, maybe not full control, but they're in control of the majority of their faculties in agency mm-hmm. uh, of the choices they make uh no matter the uh, the situation and you don't have to be broken to get better.
2: You can That's just it. be like, hey, I, like this is suboptimal the way I'm profiting yeah. well, this, um, and i I can do it better and I can, and I can get more growth out of it, I can get a better experience out of it um, without having to say, "Well, you know I'm a tragically flawed person because
1: I'm feeling bad about this, you know well, I mean a exactly. lot of this perception. Um, the one thing, and, and uh, Doc, I work. Uh, I joke that I joined, uh, uh, or I adopted a bunch of Brazilians, and that I work with a bunch of uh, professional Brazilian jujitsu fighters. And these kids are in their twenties. They're from Brazil. They came here, and they're like, I can't believe how much opportunity is here. Yeah, like if you just work hard and like continue to be consistent, and like you know, I mean, they're all like everybody's hardworking. Like no complaining. Like they show up, and like when everybody kind of rips on that generation, I'm like. Uh, maybe it's just the people that we're around because these kids are this same age, you know, 23, 24, 25, and they are absolutely workhorses. Cool. Like, you, they you know what I call them. that? And they're like, so – and then, like, I mean, they're so positive, respectful, yeah. come over, everything's great, and they're just so ecstatic for the opportunities presented to them that they are mm-hmm. willing to walk over our holes for
0: anything. So a few, a few points on that. One, they come with a different perspective because, you know, we're, we're all a product of our experiences. They grew up – they saw abject – Poverty. I mean, poverty on a completely different level than yeah. the United States. Not to say that there oh, sure. not people struggling here in the United States. So they have a different perspective, which I think a lot of Americans lack. But the whole generation thing—I call this the generational game—and it finally hit me when—and uh, I don't want to get specifics—basically um, came in and some guys that were our age in the military were bagging on the, the the next generation behind us, and as they're talking, I sort of tune them out, and I realized. And I finally said to him, like, hey, what did the Vietnam generation say about you guys? a yeah. uh, bunch of wimps and like you're not hard. And yeah, this every generation generation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this
2: generation's yeah, great. I, I trained with the Vietnam guys, and I am a wimp compared, compared to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: <laughs>
2: I I don't I don't see any problem with that. Um uh, can you tell uh I I think it'd be great um for the for the audience, you know, anyone listening to know like how how does somebody find someone like you to work with mm. and know that uh like you know that you have the right bona fides and the right sort of uh approach to mental health uh where you're not you know you're not trying to make a victim out of them you're not trying to put them on medication you're not trying to get them to cry on your couch it's like hey i'm i'm here to make you stronger like how do that's how what we do on somebody... your couch we just cry a <laughs> <on the couch. laughs>
1: It burns. It's called. There. It's called the crying <laughs> test. The roofies I give you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so can, can you you just explain yeah. for, for the for the lay audience, like how did how do you find somebody with your skill set and your and your approach?
3: I think it's a really important question. So let's do uh, two things here. First is like, I think we've been talking about cognitive behavior therapy as if everybody knows what it is. And my experience is that the lay person have no idea what cognitive behavior therapy is. And in fact, they believe it's just talk therapy and then you're just going to go talk to somebody. And so let's just define the terms, which is, you know, cognitive behavior therapy is an evidence-based treatment. That is really designed to teach you that a situation happens and whenever that happens, it affects what you say to yourself, how you feel and what you do, right? So you walk in an office, somebody gives you a look, and you go, oh my God, they're pissed at me, your heart pound and you walk away, right? CBT teaches you to change your thoughts, to approach instead of avoiding and to leave a values driven life. And so and so, how do you find a CBT therapist? How do you know? The first thing is knowing what CBT is. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America has actually a find a therapist link of evidence-based therapists. So it's a good place to start. But the last thing I'll say about this that I think it's really important is the same way you wouldn't go to a cardiologist and let them open up your heart without checking their credentials, or so I hope you wouldn't, I wouldn't. I would want to know that that cardiologist is really a cardiologist and has actually done that kind of surgery. I think as a potential client, you need to actually interview your doctor and say, have you seen this before? Imagine you had a panic disorder. Have you treated panic before? How many panic patients? How long do I be with you for? What is the expectation of outcome, right? And, And so I think it's, Knowing what it is, identifying a professional and interviewing them because there is a match here a little bit. Like, for example, you guys probably got this already, but I tend to be on people's face when I'm working with them. I don't take no for an answer, and we're we gonna get to the finish line no matter what. If somebody doesn't wanna show up, I'm not a good therapist, right? And so if they ask me if we're just gonna talk, well, I'm not the right therapist. In fact, somebody called me one time and I said, what are you doing therapy? And I said, I make people feel comfortably uncomfortable. And they're like, well, I just want to be comfortable. I said, well, then fire me now because it's not going to work.
2: Yeah. Right. Like saying, so I, I think- want you to get rid of all the fear in my life or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Can't do it either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, I,
3: I want to lose weight, but I'm not going to exercise. Well, sorry. It's not going to work. Yeah,
0: either. yeah was empty. <laughs> The wonder drug. Well, no, um, the one I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. I, you know, I hope if anyone's listening, they can take this approach to dealing with the anxiety and stress, which we all have, which is just part of life and develop the mechanisms, as you said, to, to deal with that, to process and learn to respond, not, not react. Um, I know we're going to be doing a podcast shortly after this. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, fellas final thoughts
1: um i'm happy that the stigma of mental health has kind of been removed i remember you know i mean uh, growing <laughs> up and you know kids obviously having breakdowns whatever and it was very like hush hush i feel like now it's uh, a lot more in the forefront which makes it more okay but i also wonder now if it's made, it's like people are searching for it like oh maybe i have this too so i don't know um but i think that you know a treatment plan or a you know, plan of attack like the Cognitive behavioral therapy is a lot better than just better living through pharmacology. Let me just medicate you until you're a potted houseplant, you know, full of thorazine and mm-hmm. all that. So, I do like the proactive approach. I, I think that's uh,
2: I, I think that's one of the reasons that we over medicate for AD, ADHD, ADD. Uh, like one one, I think if you look at the symptomatology of ADD, and you look at the symptomatology of chronic insomnia or chronic sleep deprivation those are indistinguishable so I, I think that's a big component in our school-aged children because of the way we start schools and all um all the other stuff but i think uh and i'd love luana's uh uh input on this but i've i've always felt like you're giving people these really powerful stimulants to cause a little bit of euphoria and a little bit of courage you that wouldn't ordinarily be there
1: have you ever taken Adderall? I have. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I saw the look on your face. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean,
2: I, I felt like I was bulletproof and Superman mm. and like much smarter than I am and <laughs> much more confident than I am. And I was like, yes, I can do anything. And then, you know, the next day I was like, good thing I didn't try. <laughs> you
1: know? Hold on. Let me get more of that.
2: sounds
0: like it sounds like uh, Limitless. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, every time I've seen that movie, I've been like, where do I sign up? I Seriously. Yeah. Somebody somebody told me I, I'll pull the uh, the name of the drug, but they're like this is as closest him. to limitless as you get. Starts with an F. Go ahead. I, I wanted her and put No, um, I, I, there. There.
3: I think you're. Do you right. think the
2: stimulants or You think that's one of the reasons that the stimulants are overprescribed?
3: So I think we are prescribing without looking at the whole human being. I think they're people, they're kids for sure. They need it. Um, but it's not the majority of kids. And, you know, what we know from CBT is if it works as good as drugs, can we start with CBT and see if it works? Can we teach a kid to sleep better? Can we regulate all those things? And then if it doesn't work, then go to the medication, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, we don't have to stay away from it, but it should be a very careful approach. I agree.
0: I'm just fascinated with the uh, the fact that we as a society are not smart enough to revamp the education system, both public and private, to start including this with with children. In, in a sense, we teach civics, we teach uh, you know uh, arithmetic. That's one, that's one, oh, they got rid of civics.
2: Unions, that's union. Crap, yeah, that's,
3: right? uh, that's all, that, that I don't, state, don't know. It's but all politics. It's mean, impossible
1: turn around a, um, an aircraft carrier. I mean, think about, um, which takes, well, in, in Texas alone, there's what 360, 380 school districts mm-hmm. that are all independent school districts that have, a, a different idea on curriculum and setup. up. That's, I mean, it's, I, I, I can give you a great
2: example. There's, there's this organization, nonprofit called start school later, and they have funded research and just, and, you know, uh, just also, um, you know, Uh, accumulated other curated other people's research but there's been tons of studies where you take say like 10 schools 10 private schools Mm -hmm. and you say we're going to push their start back their start time back an hour like an hour just that it it should be three but we're going to push it back an hour the students will have far less truancy far less behavioral problems they will have far fewer sport injuries they will have the best they will have higher gpa the entire class the entire average will be higher gpa And every school that they studied this had the best uh, sports performance of any year they had ever done this. And the reason we can't move this into public schools is because of the busing system. And it's like all all the busing system is set in place, and it has to the bus the bus has to have to come before the parents go to work, and you know this and that, and like this contract. And if we pay, if the bus drivers have to drive at this time, it shifts all this, and it's way too expensive is th- that's the answer it's
0: way too expensive so, yeah I mean, i'm assuming the primary factor there was they were getting more sleep
2: yes yeah, yeah. They, and they were only getting an hour more shocker sleep doctor. And, and more sleep
1: and you're a doctor right. everything is all-, all sleep aids yeah uh, it's like oh your hormones are bad sleep more you have a bad life sleep more you want your car to not break down sleep more. <laughs> life hates you
0: sleep more. <laughs> Okay, it's, it's true. true. It's don't a terrible
3: true. No, I, I, I no, I think I think you're in. right. I, I'm sorry, but like you know, I've been trying to get stuff in schools for so long. Without a federal mandate that mandates it and puts money behind it, it's a mute conversation.
0: Here, here's here's what I refuse to like accept: turning an aircraft carrier around. And for those that don't understand that that that's a yeah. it takes a while for a nation that defeated two major empires on two major fronts there's a lot of things that we can solve if we truly cared about them where like yeah. over a 100
1: years ago <laughs> <laughs> But yeah i was i was saying yeah, world yeah. war Two ended what in like 1945 45, 45, 45, right yeah. so with the and, and we 80, had to so what, years of, what i'm and, saying and we also had to drop a bomb on japan to break their back i mean two uh two bombs hiroshima and nagasaki i mean so we basically unleashed probably the closest most savage thing ever produced on this planet yes. twice on people to break the back and that was the last time we won time which it. Oppenheimer?
0: yeah uh, is coming got, out is that's gonna, gonna be an interesting i'm so uh, excited to see it i know so am i they've got a a cast what so? What I am saying is, yeah, the, the the biggest hurdle to integrating this or implementing this within schools is politics and unions. I have no doubt, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Is to start emphasizing the soft skills that mm-hmm. kids don't teach or do get in, in current education. But then again, who's qualified to teach it? That's that's a big problem. Well, uh,
3: I, I don't. Teacher. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's a big problem. I mean, my research has proven that I can teach paraprofessionals how to teach the skills. Yeah. So I, I actually, it's just a matter of the country wanting and believing, and, and I'm going to push back Mike. I don't think soft skills, like we're talking about regulating people's brains so that they can actually learn. Right. Cause when a kid's sitting there scared, they can't actually learn. And so it's just basic brain biology one one teaching them about their brain and regulating emotions. And I agree with you. If you cared about it, We could do it.
0: And what I mean by soft skills is also teaching attributes, leadership, Mm -hmm. things along those lines that will serve people as equally, if not more than a college education. For sure. The ability to communicate, to articulate, to reason, conflict um, resolution.
1: Well, I mean, uh, you have to remember, and and I actually know this on a, you know, doing my master's work at Berkeley, uh, the school systems are not designed for critical thinking. It's a uh, Henry Ford, let me design a school system or it's uh, mode of thinking so I can develop factory workers that can plug in with cogs. It's rogue memorization. I remember after uh, why I, I hated high school so much. And I got to college where I'm like, wow, critical thinking groups, projects. Like It, it was one of those things when we came to Texas, um, I went to the public school. I talked to the teacher uh, listen to what they had to say, what the curriculum and all this. And I put my kids in a private school where it was critical thinking, small mm. groups, project-based and everything. Cause I, I know exactly what the failures of this. Cause I used to write grant or uh, evaluate grant proposals for charter schools. I mean, um, the school districts are designed and the curriculum is designed not to create critical thinkers. It's uh, cogs for- To include uh, higher education we, in we a lot teach, of- We teach people what to think, not how to think. Yeah. And the education- and, and then we te- and we test them on it. We test them on, you know. Hey, you have to remember, you have to memorize this information. I, not I re- like
2: I remember in medical school giving them the answer that they wanted and knowing that it was bullshit. Like that's not. This is not true. I it did that in is high what school. What you want? Like this? I don't pass if I don't say this. But
1: it was I, like read a book and then oh, yeah. tell us what the book said. Right. It's like, well, yeah. what? Like, like that. That seemed ridiculous to me. I'm like, well, what's the book trying to say? What's the argument? I'm like, like, what is this? You know, what's Catcher in the Rye trying to teach? Not necessarily who Alton Caulfield is, right? So I, I just, I mean, I, I hated high school. And then all of a sudden I, I went to college, went to Berkeley and was like, this is
0: great. Like I could stay here forever and do this. That requires a teacher to be a facilitator without trying to interject or indoctrinate.
2: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, there's a lot of teachers that are activists now. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, but I
1: mean, think, think about one of the other issues we ran into uh, at public school is, um, and I know this is a, a bigger issue, but I remember first grade and I remember this clear as day, very first day of first grade, we got a picture that we had to color. Day two, we came in, we had to hand it in and the teacher went around and took everybody's, oh, it's a nice picture and, you know, hand it back. The kid next to me just took a red crayon and did this on his. Handed it in. the teacher gave this look, took him up and basically took him to a different class. And he was in a slow class, not our class. And, uh, the idea was that we can't, you know, sacrifice these 30 kids for the one. And then people sued and it became an issue. Um, at my, when I went to, uh, you know, like went to the parent teacher conference, I'm like, um, Based on what you told me day one with like the curriculum, the rubric, you guys are way behind because I'm helping the kids with their homework. And she's like, well, we have 40 kids in the class. We have three to four behavioral issues that are taking roughly 80 to 90% of my time. And the, Good and boy. your daughters are doing great. They're totally fine. They can work by themselves. They can do this. And I thank you for going home and working with them every night. And I'm like, so wait a minute. I'm I, you should I, just homeschool at that point. Well, no, <laughs> well, we, we, we well, well, that's what we did. We, we look to do, Um, but then I found a private school that was, you know, classes of 10, uh, I could be involved in the curriculum. I I know the teachers they have the. I mean, I I show up, we talk, my wife and I are involved and I told them, I was like, you know, this is what I want. Like, this is the direction I want my kids to go. And they were completely receptive for it. So I was able to find a solution. I mean, financial means help that. I mean, you Mm -hmm. know, I I were, I'm sorry that the other people have to wade through whatever that is, but I'm I'm not going to, you know not give my you kids don't sacrifice the
2: best your off. kids for no
1: the whole like, yeah it's like I, i'll like, just I'll, I'll go out and work sorry, harder just to pay church. for it but, <laughs> but i mean there but the the problem is is if i didn't know better but you know when i went to berkeley and then did my master's work like this is what i i focused on mm-hmm. and uh to see this happen in real time i was like man I'm, I'm i'm not gonna uh you know i'm not gonna wade through this but like the issues like with the behavioral issues with kids, like kids are screaming and the teacher trying to calm them down mm-hmm. and i'm like back when i was there they just put those kids in a different class
0: and, and this is why homeschooling's on the upward trend right yeah there's people can control and people the, are also doing homeschooling well, pods
1: you know pods yeah. where they'll have like three or four or five six kids in the neighborhood yes. and then they yeah. hired we we looked at doing that during covid or you know you have a guy like rob wolf who, right, who homeschools his kids and yeah. it's probably better than anybody
2: yeah but, I, i've i've heard that uh if you homeschool the you know the school's curriculum only takes about two hours a day to yeah. teach your kids because
1: there's so much crap. So if you spend away way built into the school. Yeah. So when we were during COVID, when they shut the schools down, we sent away and I got their whole curriculum. And when I went through the curriculum, I, I interviewed a teacher and I was roughly like 90 to 120 minutes. So like the teacher was going to come at like 930, 10 and they'd be done by noon. And then we had to figure out what to do. So like a big part of it's just warehousing. Yeah. So like the parents have to go to work. They don't have childcare. So they have to warehouse the kids mm. from like yeah. eight nine o'clock to like three to four is like just the warehousing time. Yeah. And they call it warehousing. <laughs> and they were like, well, if you don't have to warehouse your kids, we can get this stuff done in 90 minutes. Yeah. And um, I, I was like, man, but the, the thing I worry, um, you know, in those groups, like, I think one of the the greatest things that I learned in college was one of Socratic method, which were a lot of my classes were, which is like, you got to stand up. And if you didn't do the work, they sent you home that day with like, you weren't, you were absent yeah. leave now. And then you get six of those and you all of a sudden like get an F. So Socratic method was extremely motivational, but also working in small groups and having to contribute and do this, like that piece is mm-hmm. fundamental. So yeah. the part I worried about with homeschooling is that they wouldn't learn that aspect of working in small groups with other people.
0: Well, Socratic method is, is what I think the, the foundation of coaching and mentoring and, and creating future, and
1: also being a rhetoric major,
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 by nature. Yeah. But creating leaders or, or children who can stand on their own two feet when you're uh, you're gone, fail, rationalize, and uh, you, know, yeah. but, you know work
2: through <laughs> disappointment. Yeah, complex thing. Well, Duanne,
0: thank you for for joining us. For everyone, uh, we thank will you. be back uh, again. Kirk, John, as usual. Thank you, man. Thank you, very much. All right, Thank guys. you, guys. Thank you. Doctor. Bye. Obrigado.
3: De nada. Bye. Ciao.
0: Ciao.